This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. Just as we are during Black History Month, we do not constrain Women's History Month to a single month because women's contributions to history happen and are noted each and every day. Today, we are talking about strong black girls reclaiming schools in their own image. It's a book that has been edited by three women. Two of them are with us today. Dr. Danielle Apugo, Lynette Mawini, who has been on our program before, and Afia Mbilishaka. Now, Dr. Apugo is Assistant Professor of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University. Mawini, who is not with us today, is the Chair of Urban Education at Rutgers. And Dr. Mbilishaka is an Assistant Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of the District of Columbia. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Dr. Apugo, what is the origin story of Strong Black Girls? Well, thank you so much for having us and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, wow. So there's quite an origin story that goes along with Strong Black Girls. Um, uh, Lynette and Afia and I actually um, submitted the, 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 the initial idea for Strong Black Girls to um, for, for another project, which um, it did not get accepted. And the feedback that we got from the editor of that project was, you know, this is great, but I just don't think it would fit into a chapter. This sounds more like a book. <laughs> And so we took that idea and we ran with it. And, and so, you know, we, we put a call out for contributors to, um, strong, to be included in the Strong Black Girls volume. We got over 80-something um, uh, proposals. We were overwhelmed and grateful. Um, and so we, we, we ended up selecting um, eight authors for the work. And, you know, we've, we've been very, very... Um, very, very focused on elevating those authors and elevating all the contents in their chapter because they're, they're, they are absolutely what makes Strong Black Girls um, the, the really powerful read that it is. And so we are encouraging people to, to please, um, when you're reading Strong Black Girls, envision um, <laughs> the, a Black girl's voice in your head. And so it really paying attention to that narrative and what it means, especially in, in this time in history. So, Dr. Mbili Shaka, what was the objective? What was the pitch that the editor said, uh, this is not a chapter, this is actually a book? Yeah, and that initial, initial pitch, well, first, let me thank you for being on the show. I got so excited to answer the question, but I'm happy to be here, too. Um, but the initial pitch was really grounding the educational experiences that Black girls have in school. We actually started out with a quote from Malcolm X. Maybe you've heard of it, but identifying Black girls and women as the most unprotected um, and oftentimes the most abused and misused people in our country. And so really giving voice to our educational experiences, because I want to make sure that we articulate that we are Black girls who went through the American educational system and the experiences that we had that were pretty oppressive. Um, and so us sharing that but recognizing with that call for chapters for other authors other people had it too these same experiences of being mistreated while trying to learn that recognizing that sometimes schools are extremely harmful to black girls and so that was really what connected to um the publisher so this is actually published through teachers college press 
of Columbia University, one of the top schools for educators. And so them recognizing actually all educators need to know these stories that Black girls go through in school. So how is it that you ladies want this book to be used? Yeah, we, so, so this book is for, we want to make it clear that this book is for for everybody. But we took special care and interest in those that would be coming into contact or come into contact with Black girls on a day-to-day basis, which is, you know, in this sense, teachers. And so the book is really designed um, to facilitate that discussion and to be a supplement to um, any teacher's teaching practice. Um, And we've expressed that in the book through, at the end of every single chapter, there are discussion questions. And so that allows you to sort of unpack some of the themes that come out in the chapters. Um, And the book is split into um, three different parts. Um, And so, you know, it could could even be um, the source of a book study within your own respective community or school community. Um, So we, we really want the book to be used as a way to bring about awareness and to also bolster bolster the narrative around the experiences of Black girls in schools. And so um, the the chapters in this book really get at the heart of that and also call into question, you know, what are we doing or or what about about schools are facilitating these types of experiences for Black girls, for better or for worse? And so we want to have an opportunity for folks to engage in the book in that way and also um, align themselves with these experiences as well. So some of the feedback we've been getting is that, wow, you know, this is this happened to me and I can relate to this and you know this is really powerful and so we we're, we're beginning to um, look at the book as more than just a supplement but also as a tool for for healing and for you know um, reauthoring stories that were processed as trauma and now sort of coming full circle with okay, there was someone else who also experienced this as well. Dr. Mbili Shaka, tell me about the the eight contributors to this book. So there are a range of contributors um, as young as elementary school uh, students all the way to people who have PhDs and who are professors. So all ranges of educational um, spectrum. And in terms of the contributing authors, we actually have quite a few who are graduate students. So in graduate school, this is where people are really um, getting a specialty in education, right, in terms of beyond maybe a liberal arts education, but to get deeper into the sciences, social sciences, biological sciences. And so a lot of graduate students who are doing independent research chose to submit some of the work that they're doing related to exploring their own voices, their own bodies, and even their own magic. So for these eight uh, contributing authors, again, some of them are children in elementary school, some are college students, some are graduate students, and some are professors, but all Black women. (laughs) So ladies, let's talk about our hair, and especially about the Crown Act. It's slow going, but more and more communities and institutions are beginning to adopt it. All right. Well, I love all things Black girls and all things hair. Um, So I'm a clinical psychologist, but you know what? I'm also a hairstylist. It wasn't until after I got my PhD in psychology that I decided to go to hair school because it was that much of a topic. Hair was that much of a topic with my clients in therapy sessions that I felt like it would be a more authentic entry point (laughs) um, to meet them in the salon space. So um, in terms of the Crown Act, so creating a respect 
full and open world for natural hair. We've all heard the story of black girls being suspended for wearing braids or colored braids or even afros. It's definitely a strategy that the public school system uses to police black girls, right, in terms of having policies that regulate what styles they can and can't wear to school. Um, and in, in some sense, that impacts how much access then they have to education. Um, so it, it's, you know, our, our relationship with our hair is complicated, um, but oftentimes because of the systems of oppression in which we live, where our hair is deemed as unprofessional or unacceptable. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that eight states have passed the Crown Act. Um, and even this week, I believe Cory Booker was reintroducing it into Congress as something that's really urgent um, to protect. Um, black hairstyles and especially protecting black children. Danielle, do you think there's something about the narrative of being a strong black girl who grows into being a strong black woman that for some reason people in other communities find intimidating? Yes, I, I, I think that um, that's exactly what we're getting at here in the book. So I think it's really important that we understand, you know, the strong black woman um, trope or sort of stereotype um, is has, has worked against us in, in many, many ways. And so it, it doesn't really allow a lot of room for people to see us as, as vulnerable or, 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 or capable of being harmed or hurt. And so when you have that perception of, of Black girls and Black women in society, you know, it, it, it sets us up, as we've seen time and time again, for violence. It sets us up to be erased. It sets us up to suffer in silence. And so I think I, I think that we in this this book we we really were open to having the authors sort of interpret their meaning of strength, right? And so for a lot of the chapters, that interpretation of strength meant you know coming to terms with um, identity, coming to terms with loving yourself, you know, coming to terms with that vulnerable piece that you know, there's no one way to be a strong Black girl. And so really bombarding um, the the idea and narrative that's, that's been so deeply ingrained into our psyche um, as Black women is that if I'm strong, I look this way and I need to do this, I need to be perceived this way at all times, but really, really um, crumbling and, and, and suffering and, and suffocating, um, especially within systems um, like schools. And so what we see a lot of times is that the same sort of um, obstacles um, with regard to, um, you know, discrimination and racism um, are happening to Black girls in K-12. And then we move over to the higher education space for, you know, graduate school. Then the, it's happening to us there. And then we move into our careers and it's still happening. You know, so this is this, this persistent um, element of trauma that's sort of woven into these experiences. And so um, through this sort of approach that we are um, laying out in Strong Black Girls, we want to really insert those different facets of what it means, what the experience of being a Black girl means within the context of schools. And so schools are, extremely, are, are at an extremely um, critical point in intervening on that harm, right? And so there's, there's, there's so much within the school setting um, that needs to change and that we need to be paying um, close attention to with regard to protecting our Black girls. How do we get to the point where our story doesn't have to be one about just surviving? And why can't, it needs to be more about 
thriving and just being. Yeah, I think that this is a call to action for an intellectual uprising, right? That we really need to disrupt the way that this educational system works and the treatment of Black girls and women in this society. I think a major part of um, this book as a resource is helping people to resurrect their power um, and recognizing to what degree our educational system has silenced us. Um, and try to remove our power or our stories. And and just thinking about how to sort of dismantle these intersectional um, means of oppression of gender-based uh, discrimination and racism. Um, and it might involve some fighting <laughs> um, and some policy change and some anti-racist teaching and um, just a whole educational revolution. Um, but, but yeah, this the, the, this is part of a narrative of over 400 years of oppression, right, of Black people in this country. And I think that through um, confronting miseducation and diseducation, we could actually have a truer story. And so I think that the authors are contributing ways that they fought back um, in school and other spaces. Talk to our listeners about the invisible barriers that that exist, and you've hinted at some of them. Definitely, um, and I, I'm going to talk from an educator, K-12 educator's experience, and, and what I've seen for myself being in the space, and also just what I've what I'm seeing from this this vantage point. But there's a you know there's a there's a common theme of anti-blackness, and so when you when you tell a person or when you show um, black girls in your policies and your day-to-day interactions with them that they don't matter, that their hair doesn't matter, that their body isn't what it should be or what it needs to be. Um, when, you, when, when, the, when the narrative in schools is, you know, um, white feminism and ways of, of, of being, these ways of following this, these scripts of femininity that were um, rooted in what it meant to be a white woman. <laughs> and so we have to be willing to ask the question, are we worthy of Black girls? As educators, are we? Do we have what we need to? Are we equipped with what we need in order to create memorable, enriching, and pleasurable experiences for Black girls in school? And I think it it starts by understanding. I think it starts by realizing that there's that Blackness is not a monolith. There's no one way, and that there's room for every 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 single representation of of what it means to be Black. And I think one of the things that we're we're really seeing in that causing a lot of, of uproar and it's such a, and it, so it should is the criminalization of black girls. And so the trickle down effect of what Dr. Billy Shaka just talked about, where you know black girls are coming in schools with hairstyles that are distracting, uh, which are oftentimes afros or, or updos or or wearing a bonnet, and then they are penalized. Um, through policies and, 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 and disproportionate discipline practices where, you know, this leads you to um, quicken your, you know, quicken your path to system involvement. And so we see these things happening in a classroom at a micro level, but then, you know, so there's, there's, there's these ways of intervening, but we really have to start with um, teaching and understanding that Black girls have the right to resist these, these constrictions, these barriers. They have a right to. And most of the time when Black girls do try to fight back or talk back these structures of oppression, they are penalized for it. And so that understanding comes with training and recruiting and retaining teachers, Black teachers, teachers of color and teachers and friends of this movement that are willing to put Black girls, center those experiences, elevate them and surround them with the care and dignity that 
they deserve. Clearly, representation matters. So are you saying that we don't have enough teachers of color in our school systems, especially at the elementary and middle school level when children are so impressionable? Absolutely. So impressionable. And so having just research shows that having just one Black teacher in the life of a, of a Black child matters. It matters. It matters with regard to their educational trajectory. It matters with regard to their career trajectory. It matters. It matters because we need to see that representation and affirm that we can also be in these spaces. And so when a very young child is constantly, and I'm speaking from my own personal experiences, growing up in rural um, backwoods, Louisiana, I didn't have any Black teachers um, early on in my school career, um, starting out in K-12. And so that really impacted me because as a young child, when you don't see your own people in those positions of power, you begin to develop this internal narrative. And I'm thankful that I did grow up in a house that was very racially conscious and taught me early on how to resist those narratives and, and find that sort of leadership in Black women through through the through the church and through community and and you know and through my own heritage. And so I think that's so incredibly powerful that you that you underscored. Um, that statement because it absolutely matters. You've already mentioned uh, that each chapter of the book is punctuated by some discussion questions that will extend the conversation around what you guys call are the everyday realities that young Black girls face in navigating school. What are those that moms and dads need to be mindful of? And they're probably mindful of, but it would help us to just raise the flag for them today. Okay. Well, I really think that it's important for parents in particular to recognize the, that racial trauma is intergenerational and often can manifest throughout family lineages. I say that in terms of thinking about how to racially socialize their children. Um, there are a lot of scholars who study Black girls who identify the need to both protect and prepare Black girls to experience um, race-related stress. In terms of protect in terms of actually having a very present role for parents in their child's education, um, whether it's going over homework or debriefing from what happened that day, what was said in school by teachers or classmates um, that could be harmful to one's self-esteem, but also um, in terms of pre- preparing, recognizing if someone says this to you, this is how you could potentially respond. Um, so I know that a lot of parents will uh, say, if someone hits you, hit, hit them back. Not to, to be pro or against that, but I'm, I think it needs to be a bit more expansive in terms of how do we prepare them for uh, just life experiences in general. I think, you know, we learn more than the ABCs in schools. We learn about race. Um, it's implicit. We learn about culture. We learn about um, bias. Um, and we oftentimes... Uh, can become invisible in those spaces in terms of, I think it's really important for parents to facilitate their Black daughters to use their voice instead of stifling it. How are parents able to encourage their children to um, recognize that in school sometimes your voice will not be welcomed, but how do you still do it anyway? And so I think that that comes from from uh, recognizing maybe the parents' own educational experiences and resurrecting their stories of what it was like to go to school and things that they had to uh, negotiate. And just to speak with, to what Dr. Afia is saying and to kind of 
bring that back to the book. There's a brilliant, a brilliant examination of this in part one of the book. Um, Autumn, uh, Dr. Gr- Autumn Griffin writes about the struggle for Black girl voice, a story of three generations. And so this is a pri- this is a, a primary artifact to use if you're if you're really wanting to reflect upon your own lineage and then be able to talk through the that um, that power. Um, as Dr. Afia talked about, that power in the intergenerational um, trauma with your um, daughter or with a Black girl that you know and love, you know? So I think that's really important um, that the book actually has these different um, outpours of, of these really deep concepts we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing I wanted to ask you, ladies, you talk about wanting this to be used in the educational arena, especially for teachers who are interacting with our young Black girls. Is this book an opportunity for a teacher of another culture who might not have the knowledge, the history, the experience of what a Black child is bringing into the classroom every day to educate himself or herself and to be more supportive and more of an ally to this child's upbringing while while she is in their care during the school day? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, uh, again, as, as you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this until we're blue in the face. It is for every, it is for everyone who is in, in the direct care proximity um, world of a black girl and wanting to know about those experiences. And specifically, as you said, um, for parents that are looking to learn more insight and they may not have the tools or the clinical language or tools to be able to facilitate these conversations. If you're a teacher um, of, you know, if you're a, 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 a practicing ally or accomplice, this is a powerful tool for you to use as entry points to conversations that you may not have may not have the language to have with with a black girl in your particular school setting. Also, if you're in social work, if you are um, you know counseling black girls, if you have black girls at your church, you know, so th- you know these are these are all these are all ways they can be used. If you if you are a, a physician and you come into contact with you know, if you're a pediatrician and you have seen black girls, it matters because we've, we've begun to see the intersections of education and health, right? And so we've seen these things. And so we have to figure out how, at what points of intervention or, or, you know, what systems need to be disrupted um, in order to make some significant changes. And so, I, yes, I think that I think there's power in this book for every single person um, that is a friend of this movement and is interested in the humanity and love of black girls. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you three, although I only have two of you with me today, editors of this book, Strong Black Girls? Well, we have social media. (laughs) We have an Instagram account at Strong Black Girls Book. We also have a website, strongblackgirls.org. Again, that website is strongblackgirls.org. And you can actually reach out to us through this. You can... um, be updated by signing in to um, our, our various events that should be coming up in the future. But again, Instagram and we have a website. Wonderful. Thank you very much, ladies. The book again is Strong Black Girls, Reclaiming Schools in Their Own Image. Uh, The book is edited by two of our guests today, uh, Dr. Danielle Apugo, Lynette Mawini, who could not be with us, and Dr. Afia Mbilishaka. Ladies, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Great work and definitely much needed because listening to you, and as I said earlier, it's a lot. Mm. 
Mm-hmm, indeed. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.